0: I feel all of the pain the solopreneurs feel at all of these stages because I've been through everything as well and I just think that's why we put a lot of emphasis on the type of people we work with because uh, we know that we can serve these type of people better uh, than anyone else can because I have been through every single aspect of that journey myself.
1: This is episode 9 of Strictly Motivation with business coach and founder of Jigsaw Thinking, Rashid Navlaki. Welcome to a new episode of Strictly Motivation. My name is Romit Jaitwani and I'm your host for this show. Each week, I will be interviewing modern day entrepreneurs with multiple figure online businesses. We'll be diving deep to reveal the secrets behind their mindset and marketing so that you can adopt the systems and strategies responsible for their success. In this episode of Strictly Motivation, I'm excited to have Rashid Navlaki. He's a business coach and founder of Jigsaw Thinking. His team and him have helped hundreds of entrepreneurs and solopreneurs achieve more impact and income in their respective businesses by applying optimized strategies, including design thinking, niche clarity, personalized marketing systems, and a goal-oriented plan of action. In this conversation, we reveal his unique journey from how he went from graduating one of the top business schools in the UK, working with one of the world's largest management consultancy firms to leveraging his international knowledge and experience into a mission to democratize entrepreneurship. I guarantee you this conversation will leave you feeling smarter. So without further ado, let's dive in. Thank you, Rashid, for being a guest on Strictly Motivation. How are you doing?
0: I am doing well. Thank you. Very excited to spend the evening speaking with you.
1: Awesome. The pleasure is all mine. So let's get started with the first question that I ask most of my guests. And that is, what are three lesser known facts about you, Rashid?
0: Well, the first one comes to me very quickly. Uh, I am a fan and lover of all things Disney. Uh, I don't always have the opportunity to share that with everyone, but I enjoy uh, an old school Disney film. Mm -hmm. Uh, A second one is I am a poker enthusiast. And I bring a lot of my learnings from poker to business and from the business world to poker as well. Um, And a third fact would be that uh, I think I don't have enough fingers to count the number of times I have broken bones in my body through school and university.
1: Wow, that's, uh, that's quite fascinating. In fact, in fact, I uh, definitely align with you with the first two. I'm a Disney fan as well, and uh, you know I definitely love playing poker for sure. Not so much now, but uh, hey, that's
0: unfortunate with the broken bones thing. Sorry, I can't relate. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. I'm glad you can't. I'm glad you can't, and hopefully those days are behind me. It's been a couple of years. I've been okay. Hopefully that continues.
1: Absolutely, Rashid. Why don't we, uh, you know, dive more into your journey into how did jigsaw thinking manifest into your life? What was the inception point in your life that, you know, you felt like, okay, this is what I want to do.
0: Yeah. I think it's a, it's a question that forces me to go back a fair bit because jigsaw thinking was a culmination and combination of a whole bunch of different experiences that I had and was fortunate enough to have. Um, So at, when I was in school, the thing that uh, I considered my strength was that I was able to help people uh, so I used to work with the, the the juniors, as we used to call them in school, who weren't great at speaking. I used to help them and train them on how they can get up on the stage and do debates and uh, you know perform in plays and things like that. And I used to really enjoy that. Um, at university, I went to University of Bath. I went to business school. I learned, you know, at that point in time, I thought I was learning everything there is to learn about business, and there can't be anything. Possibly else that I need to learn. So I learned that and obviously made some friends for life as well. Um, when I graduated Bath, I had decided, as we all do, that I'm going to conquer and change the world. And then instead, uh, Accenture Consulting waved a very, very nice looking check in front of me. Uh, and I said, that sounds like a really good idea. So I went into strategic consulting for a couple of years in London. Uh, and then I got promoted in London and realized that the promotion made me actually realize that I didn't want to continue doing what I was doing because I didn't want at that point in time a fancier suit. So I quit and came back to India um, without having a plan, got into the world of design thinking and launched a social enterprise called Eye for India, um, which basically took sourced challenges from NGOs, and I taught kids how they could solve problems for NGOs. So the NGOs had a problem solved, the kids learned something, I got some pocket money, basically. Um, And jigsaw thinking essentially finally emerged out of all of that with a combination of all of this stuff from my passion in school of helping other people be more than what they were, Uh, from university learning the theory of business, uh, Accenture learning skills of consulting, with my social enterprise learning design thinking. Jigsaw thinking is basically a combination of everything I've learned, everything I consider myself fairly good at. uh, And we put it together in terms of, and it manifested as Jigsaw thinking, where we help entrepreneurs uh, along their journeys. And because for me, it felt like my journey was a bit of like a, Puzzle with varied pieces that sort of fit together. That's one of the reasons Jigsaw uh, Thinking was the name we landed on.
1: I like that. I like the fact that the uh, the reason you call it Jigsaw Thinking was has it comes from you know your personal story and how everything just happened to fall in place because uh, going you know working with Accenture Consulting that that definitely is uh you know it's 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 a stressful situation to be in in that particular role and then when you take a promotion you know that um it's only going to get you know go south from there and it's going to take up all of your time and that tends to put a lot of um that tends to re- you know bring to surface what you really want from life when you're in a high pressure situation like that and you seem to create your path take the road less traveled and uh, here we are with jigsaw thinking and i think that's really that's really awesome because everyone has a unique story that uh, inspires what they're doing at this particular point in time and this is you know quite unique uh you know uh, a path that uh, you've been on which is uh, exciting to know for me so when we look at jigsaw thinking at this point um i want to just dive into one concept that you mentioned earlier that's design thinking now this is a concept that you know i would say uh most individuals are new to so just for the benefit of the audience could you like throw some light on what does design thinking really mean
0: yeah, I'm very happy to do that. Uh, in fact, one of the things I try and do consistently is simplify seemingly complex topics, uh, because sometimes just to make it feel or sound like they're valuable, people make it very complicated when they share it so that you know it feels like only a few people know this. But design thinking at its heart is, the way I define it is, it's a creative, practical, human-centric approach to problem solving. That's basically what it does. So um, basically, whenever you're looking at problem solving, there are two elements, right? There's a problem and a solution. And in cases where either one of them is uncertain or both of them are uncertain, so you don't quite know what the problem is or you know the problem, but you don't quite know what the solution is, design thinking is a great approach to follow. Um, and basically, it takes uh, the journey or the problem solver through a five-step journey. Uh, the first step is empathize. So As a problem solver, you would connect with the people involved in the problem that you're solving. The second phase is define, which is actually defining the problem because there's no point coming up with solutions if you're targeting the wrong problem. The third phase is ideate, which is coming up with the actual creative practical solutions. The fourth phase is prototype, which is turning your ideas into actually uh, tangible uh, solutions where you can actually test them. And the fifth phase therefore is test where you actually test your solutions. And design thinking is a very, um, I think of it as a loopy process because it's not like it's a linear thing where you do one phase after the other and then you move on with your life with the problem solved. It it often has a lot of loops in it. So after you test, you go back to empathize. After you uh, ideate, you might go back to define, to you know define the problem more clearly. Uh, but that's basically what design thinking is. It's used all over the place. It's a term that's used and abused, I think, quite often as well. Uh, but that's that's the crux of it.
1: I'm glad you made it very clear what design thinking is, especially with the five-step methodology, because I understand that a lot of people have a different perspective over what design thinking is. In fact, my uh, introduction to design thinking, not exactly at that point did I know it's design thinking, but um, it was somewhat similar to creating a hypothesis and then validating it and then refining the process. So I see hints of your five step methodology and what I've, uh, you know, been introduced to earlier in, in my career. So that's, that's really, that's really awesome how you laid it out over there. So, especially since you work with, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and especially aspiring entrepreneurs, how do you really, um, see design thinking as a necessary skill that aspiring entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs should have? How crucial is it to their journey when they are starting out
0: or on their way? Sure. So I think the one thing that is possibly the most common aspect of any entrepreneur's journey is that you have to navigate and embrace uncertainty. Uh, You are always going to face different types of uncertainty in different forms as an entrepreneur. Uh, That's one of the biggest uh, things that people are attracted to and the same thing that people are afraid of for in terms of people who don't quite go after their entrepreneurial goals as well um and design thinking to me is a fantastic tool to navigate uncertainty that's how i think about it so if you know as an entrepreneur uncertainty is guaranteed, then you should be equipped to figure out how you're going to navigate this uncertainty. And design thinking is a great tool to actually make sure you can navigate the uncertainty. That's 100% going to, uh, you know, you are going to come across it at some point in your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, In fact, it tends to be a pretty continuous uh, loop of uncertainty because you might be certain about one thing, solve it, and then you go into another place of uncertainty all over again. So to me, the importance of design thinking comes because whenever there's uncertainty, design thinking is a good tool uh, to use. Uh, and that's why I think it's it's essential for entrepreneurs. I don't think it's a nice to have a good to have. You have to be armed with a little bit of design thinking as a way of thinking for you, because then you'll approach that uncertainty which, with far more um, enthusiasm as opposed to running away from it.
1: No, definitely. And, you know, essentially, as entrepreneurs, we are problem solvers. So it only makes sense to have a essential tool to help us navigate through the uncertainties in our journey, when help us really solve the problems and know to identify the problems that we can solve with that enthusiasm and with that clarity. So I'm glad you confirmed that, Rashid. So now I'm assuming that design thinking is an integral part of jigsaw thinking.
0: Yes, I think that would be fair to say. In fact, when we uh, started out, I think in our first year, we were literally just applying design thinking in different forms. Uh, But I think as we've gone through the journey and worked with so many different entrepreneurs in different fields facing different problems, we've realized that design thinking can be an underlying methodology and philosophy, but it can't be the only approach that you use to solve uh, problems. Um, so there's definitely, I, you know, I would think of it as the the underlying ethos definitely has design thinking in it. There's a bit of design thinking in everything that we do, um, but we don't really just say, hey, design thinking is here to solve all your problems all of the time uh, because uh, we found out the hard way in our first year that that's just simply not true.
1: No, absolutely. And I'm actually very curious to learn about, you know, when you started Jigsaw Thinking and especially... Coming from a background where you've been a consultant with, you know, Accenture, there's a lot of, uh, you know, deeper levels of learning in the consulting industry that you, you know, had access to through theory and practical. And I want to understand, like, taking all the knowledge that you had from business school and from your work experience, what was your, uh, you know, what was your strategy when you came to India and you said, okay, you know what, I'm going to start jigsaw thinking how did you really get started? And the reason I'm asking this is because, you know, there are so many entrepreneurs who struggle with just getting started. Now, with someone like you who comes with that experience and knowledge that only if, like, I would say, like, not many actually have that level of knowledge because most of the entrepreneurs starting out, they don't work in Accenture. They don't, they're they not from a consulting background, right? They, they identify a niche and they take it from there and they learn whatever skills and strategies required. But Specifically with you, Rashid, I just, I'm really curious to learn about how, did, like, what was your strategy when you got started with jigsaw thinking?
0: So I, I definitely made tons of mistakes right out the block, um, and I, you know it's sometimes cathartic to share them as well. Um, so I will. Uh, I think I went too extreme in terms of trying to take my learnings from business school and from consulting into entrepreneurship. So when I started, it was, you know, the strength that I got from business school and from consulting was being able to think in a very structured, organized way. Uh, and I, I definitely think that's a strength that I lean on at different points in time and which helps Jigsaw Thinking and its clients today. But when I started out, I I sort of just leaned on that. And that was a mistake because what I ended up doing in the beginning, like the first three, four months Was I spent three, four months designing this amazing business plan, right, using my business school knowledge and uh, then, you know, taking some of the stuff that I've learned from consulting, putting that into this awesome business plan that I thought would change the world. Um, And, you know, when I reflected on it, I realized that in four months I hadn't done anything. I hadn't created any impact, worked with anyone, got any clients, earned any money because I went so extreme on everything has to be perfect. I have to plan everything down to the T, which is what I'd learned uh, in the consulting world as well. So I think I went too extreme on that. When I realized that that is what I was doing, then I could, you know, also bring in a bit of my personality uh Overall and from school where you sort of do things a bit off the cuff and you wing it a little bit every now and then, you know, study last minute and bring in those types of ways of thinking and doing stuff as well. And so when I finally, I think four months later, when I had this realization, I started to marry the two things, which is I said structure is great, but the entire game for me changed from having the ultimate business plan to getting my first client. And I just boiled it down to that is all I care about now. So whether it is through structure, hustle, creativity, empathy, whatever it is to get my first client, that's what I'm going to do because a snowball only grows bigger and bigger once it's pushed down the mountain, but I had to push it down the mountain in the first place, right? So um, basically, I just changed everything and I said, okay, all I'm going to do is scout out for this first client. And that was a very, you know, hustle mod on essentially to get that first client. Um, And then once I got that first client, the first couple of clients, then I could start to marry the two things, you know, my creative side and hustle side with my structured and organized side. Uh, And that's what really helped. But I think initially it's always challenging for people because you tend to go one extreme or the other. You either have no plan in place and you just sort of go for it and you realize you've, you know, messed up or you get so structured that you don't really do anything you know, move or actually create any impact. And I was definitely stuck in that place for the first three to six months. And then uh, that realization really helped to kick things off and make sure I moved faster.
1: Exactly. Because I'm glad you shared that because, um, you know, I I see that a lot of emphasis is given on education and experience prior to venturing out and becoming an entrepreneur. And I was very curious to understand how, with your level of education and experience kind of like materialized and uh, it was really honest of you to just to to express the fact that you know you made those mistakes in the beginning by being ex- by being extreme and then you realized that uh, you know what you thought and what actually happened were you know needed to be like reconciled and fixed and uh, that's when you got your first client so just to get some more perspective on when you started out like what was your objective like who was your target audience and what were you exactly helping them with?
0: Uh, So again another opportunity to share a mistake so early on my target audience was all over the place because I had none I was just like okay got to keep this going any clients are good clients right whatever business I can get from wherever I'm going to do it and you know, it gives you short-term success and the bank account looks better for a few months, but it's really not the long-term way to go. Um, but again, you know, it's a learning experience where after like a few months, you realize what you're doing um, and sort of make up for your mistakes or at least sort of course correct. Um, but right now, you know, talking of business education, it's it's interesting The people who we end up attracting and who we focus on as well are people who are either who are good at something, have a skill or knowledge or expertise along with a passion for it, but might not necessarily have the business education to actually think about the entrepreneurial side of things. So a really simple example or a typical client is, let's say somebody who's gone to design school is great at graphic design has worked in a you know a studio for a couple of years they you know they their upskilling in terms of graphic design is really high so they definitely are good at it and they're passionate about it but now they realize they want to be financially independent and have creative autonomy as well and so they want to venture out by themselves um and they're really good at what they do but they might not be great at the business side of things and that's really where we come in. We want to make sure that people who are good at what they do, love what they do, don't, aren't trapped in either a job or, a, you know, that struggling freelancer income roller coaster type of place. We want to make sure that we are their support system on all things on the entrepreneurial side. So that's basically who we focus on.
1: Okay. All right. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that because I personally believe that, uh, you know, if you try to serve everyone, you'll end up serving no one
0: yeah i couldn't agree more
1: so when you know when you really uh, narrow down on uh, you know your blue ocean in terms of becoming known for one thing and one audience that you can serve it also positions you as uh, an expert in that particular area and uh, increases your value in the marketplace as well and when you have so many so many coaches in the marketplace today who are you know in the same um area of expertise that is helping people with skill experience knowledge monetize it in the right way did you when you came to india and you know you started jigsaw thinking and fast forward a few months you got your first few clients what was your perception of what was happening in india i want to know your perspective because coming from london and with that experience you come you know you come to your homeland and uh, you you see what other people are doing that's the first thing you want to understand, what's really going on in the market? So what did you observe that was going on? What And how did you feel that you could differentiate?
0: Well, I think there were two things that really uh, stick out based on the question that you asked uh, that I think might be worth reflecting on and sharing. Um, one is that I think the India was a little. Well, OK, I think I'm being kind to India. India was far behind when it came to cutting edge thinking techniques on problem solving. It was very clear to me that something like design thinking has, uh, has really not taken hold in the marketplace. People don't understand the value of it at all. Um, and the only thing I kept hearing about design thinking was that uh, Infosys had told all its employees that it needs to do a one day training in design thinking. Uh, And so everybody was curious about what design thinking was. But in terms of its application, um, really being innovative with stuff like this, I definitely saw that it was behind at least where I had been at the time uh, in the UK and in London. So that was one of the things that came out. And so my perception of that was, of course, that means it's going to be a challenge doing what we're doing, Um, but also an opportunity to be a pioneer or a leader in the space Uh, as well right and as an entrepreneur you're always going to edge towards the opportunity rather than the challenge Um, and so that's what I was thinking of so that was definitely one piece Um, the second piece that I definitely recognized is that it felt at that point in time that uh, coaching was turning or the word coach was turning into a bit of a bad word so it felt like You know, people who needed a coach were somehow the ones that are struggling and therefore you wouldn't tell other people if you had a coach and having a coach meant that you were admitting somehow that you're not succeeding. And, you know, there was this stigma attached to uh, coaching, uh, which again, to me was, you know, presented as the same way with design thinking, which is there's a huge challenge here. Um, because the type of people we want to work with are not necessarily only the people who are struggling. It's people who are ambitious and sorted, but want that, you know, uh, five degree of improvement. So like, you know, you can be Sachin Tendulkar and still have a coach, uh, right, to help you sort of be better at what you do. So I think those two things definitely uh, stood out to me when I started out in India. Uh, And then what was interesting, uh, if I may share as well, is very quickly, once the word, you know, coach and design thinking got some acceptance, suddenly India flipped over to the other side where uh, the value of those things went down because anyone and everyone was trying to take advantage that these terms are now uh, India friendly. And so very poor and mediocre coaches and design thinking practitioners, etc., were emerging. People who you know go for a one-day workshop on design thinking then came to be design thinkers and then help others. And then obviously, they don't help them very well because they are not real practitioners. And so the name of design thinking went down again. Uh, right? So I felt like this cycle with design thinking and coaching was definitely the, uh, there in India. And it was, to me, the interesting fact was how quickly it flipped from one extreme to another. There was hardly a couple of months, and I I sort of noticed the switch. I remember that clearly a few years ago.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, um In fact, when when I look back, I think, uh, you know, I can definitely remember the time when there weren't a lot of coaches, especially you know, marketing their offers online. It was uh, still very, very new, and in just a short span of time courtesy you know to the pandemic unfortunately or fortunately but there's been a immense surge of online coaches and consultants because it's the need of the hour and I I like how you brought out the fact that at one point in time it was like a taboo to even acknowledge that you had a coach and now you have a you know a huge buffet of um coaches making offers through advertisements on Facebook Instagram and where not and it's really the whole it's like completely normalized and uh in, in fact right now where we are it's everyone wants to be a coach right and that also leads to you know um a lot of so-called you know pseudo coaches who are not practitioners like you said and it's really important for people who are starting out to know the difference. And unfortunately, you know, they not many are able to, you know, uh, do their due diligence, which is required before taking the next step. And that costs not just money, but time as well, which will never come back. So the fact that you bring, you know, jigsaw thinking into this, um, into this industry and, you know, your... Um, you know, capitalizing on design thinking as the you know the the core function of what you're doing and how you're teaching other entrepreneurs to monetize their skill. What would you say are you know the the most the most crucial challenges that
0: entrepreneurs face today? Um, so, fortunately, you know, over the last few years, we've had the opportunity to work with. About 300 entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, as we call them, um, and so there's been a lot of insight that we de- that we've got. Um, a few months ago, actually, it was a really exciting, fun, uh, at times uh, tedious exercise, but we actually went through all of the data over the last few years in terms of what challenge they came in with, what their challenge, you know, transitioned into uh, along their journeys, and we basically identified. Uh, you know, four core challenges that just keep coming in different forms over and over again. Now, this is not to say that there are no other challenges, of course, uh, but these four just kept cropping up over and over again, and they were potentially the highest value problems to solve um, for solopreneurs entrepreneurs. So the first one was um, and continues to be uh, clarity and direction. So entrepreneurs, solopreneurs needing clarity on what their goals are, what their strategy is, what they're actually trying to achieve, how they're going to achieve it. So almost like plotting out, you know how Google Maps plots out your destination and your uh, potential paths and you pick a path just like that for entrepreneurs, we feel like is definitely a high value problem to solve um, because sometimes they're lacking clarity and direction. The second problem uh, that keeps coming up is Entrepreneurs wanting to version up from being either an employee or a graphic designer, or you know, or any other skill, to actually transitioning to being an entrepreneur, which I think are two completely different things. So being good at what you do and being a good entrepreneur are two completely different things. So um, because you, you've got to figure out basics like how do I think in results? How do I design my week, my day? Uh, how do I have a method to solve problems? How do I have a technique to make decisions? Right, It's different types of things you have to do as an entrepreneur. So we found that versioning up as an entrepreneur and staying equipped, constantly getting stronger as an entrepreneur was definitely the second challenge. The third and four challenges are more, I would say, business system focused. There were two systems that kept coming back. The first system was a business development system. So how do I build a system to consistently get clients as opposed to, you know, every client and every lead and every prospect being a completely different entity and me having to figure it out from scratch every time, you know, in terms of what my journey is going to be for them, what my targeting is, what my positioning is, my pricing is, et cetera. So, making sure that a business development system with strong foundations is set up, um, and finally, there is the system of delivering a world-class client experience. So, we found quite often that people who, you know, solved the first problem of getting their business development system up and running suddenly realized, wait, we're getting these clients, but how do we make sure we deliver a world-class experience? That we can retain them, that they give us referrals, that we have a system to deliver this stuff, you know, without having to spend 90 hours a week doing it. Um, That became the sort of fourth system. So uh, these four things have just kept coming up over and over again. Strategic clarity, leveling up as an entrepreneur, business development system and client experience system.
1: Okay, perfect. And with respect to systems in particular, um, I want to understand from you, Rashid. With respect to there being so many different marketing strategies in place to generate clients, what is a system that you advocate to your students or your clients in order for them to generate clients?
0: Um, yeah, great, great question. Uh, going to have to disappoint you with the answer and do the classic, it depends. Uh, but I'll give you some more context about why I say that. Yeah. Um, I think for me, most uh, entrepreneurs solopreneurs fail at the marketing step because they've actually not got their foundations in place. Uh, the job of marketing is to make sure that it generates interest inquiries, leads sometimes does some pre-selling in terms of you know laying out the uh, the vibe of the organization or the coach or whoever else it might be as well. But the foundations, the work has to be done by the entrepreneur before building a marketing system. And those foundations are, like we talked about a little bit earlier, the first is making sure your target audience is nailed on. You are very clear on who you work with and just as clear on who you don't work with. Uh, The second is being very clear about your positioning. And what your story is making sure that you've also got that nailed down because you don't want to constantly keep changing that with every channel that you go to. Um, And uh, then the next piece is making sure that you are pricing yourself strategically and it sort of links in with your target audience and your positioning. So I would say, um, you know, if, uh, if I've, If I may take a step back from the marketing itself or the channel or the the system itself, I think these foundations are absolutely critical because when you have these foundations really nailed on and really clear and you've done the hard work on them, then building out a marketing strategy or a system that fits in with these two, three things, uh, the audience positioning and pricing becomes a far more straightforward job. It's by no means easy, but at least you're heading in the right direction with your marketing system, whether that is building out a funnel or driving people to your website or uh, selling directly through like a channel like an Instagram. I feel like those three pieces actually inform which system is best for you. Um, And without those three pieces, it's impossible to just guess because somebody else is using one system and getting success that you will as well.
1: No, 100%, um, because I agree with you with respect to the fundamental pillars of clarity, understanding what it takes to be an entrepreneur and having the right system to you know strategically offer through your marketing and then deliver on your promise. So I love how you laid it out so strategically. Um, and in fact, when it comes to marketing, my question that I'd like, really like your two cents on is if someone has clarity on their their audience they know exactly what they want to offer and they've developed that mindset of being an entrepreneur now you mentioned the word funnel you mentioned website and then you mentioned you know content marketing with us through instagram i want to ask you this do you feel that okay it's a two-part question first part do you feel that it's important to stick to one channel or should one be omnipresent? Second question is, how important is personal branding?
0: Sure, um, I, I think two very valid questions. I think the my first, the, you know, my answer to the first question on, uh, you know, multi-channel or single-channel is that for a lot of the audience that we work with, right, uh, which are solopreneurs starting out. Uh, making sure that they have a sustainable income. At that stage, I'm a strong believer in uh, what at least we think of as a one plus one strategy, which is that you look to dominate one channel where it fits in with your strength and it's linked to your audience and your positioning and your pricing. And you are allowed to spend you know, 20% of your marketing time or focus on a second channel that you're not too sure about, but you want to explore. And that's it. Um, we we know that there's a temptation to be on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and Clubhouse and Snapchat and, uh, you know, Quora and everything at the same time. But for the people that we work with who typically start out as one-person armies um, we strongly recommend them not trying to do that because you have to have, a, I think, a more established uh, team and command over your basics to actually go out omnichannel. I don't think it's a wrong strategy once you're mature, a mature business, but definitely at the early stage, you know, we try and limit our the entrepreneurs we work with uh, to a one plus one way of thinking. Um, and I think your second question was personal branding uh, or is it important, or how important is it? I think it's a no-brainer that it's important. I, I don't think there's any question, uh, it, because the fact is that, uh, however much you do on the business front, people tend to buy from people. They don't tend to buy from uh, companies. Uh, you have to be an, you know, an Apple or a McDonald's, and you know those type of companies where people will buy from the company because of the brand name. Uh, but increasingly, whether even if your business brand is strong or not, people relate to the person behind the business um, and so you know there has to be some amount of focus where you put yourself out there and start to build a personal brand as well. I also think for uh for any entrepreneurs who aren 't a hundred percent certain that they 've you know found their calling in life and this is what they want to do forever. Um, it just makes sense as a almost like a risk mitigation strategy to also build your personal brand along with the business, because if you ever had to step out of it, pivot, etc., at least you've got your personal brand to stand on, um, which can help you with different types of career opportunities um, over the course of your lifetime. So I'm quite clear that personal branding is a no-brainer.
1: No, absolutely. I'm glad that you mentioned it because I completely aligned with what you just said. In fact, uh, you are your own brand and how you express, how you educate, how you, you know, and sometimes uh, I would say not entertain, but, you know, edutain um, mm-hmm. is what people resonate with. And that really attracts the attention of your target audience to what you have to offer through how you uh, provide that value in the first place. And, um, Definitely. And you mentioned that it's important to have one channel. And once that matures, then you venture out into the other instead of trying to be everywhere, which kind of lends one, especially if you're a solopreneur, it it will burn you out eventually at some point that will affect everything else that you've built. So since we've covered the idea of marketing and, uh, you know, the importance of uh, having a system, I want to know from you, Rashid, like, are you pro paid advertising or do you believe in the organic way uh
0: so i always think about this like a car uh you know you can put as much nos as you want into a car but if the engine isn't strong there's absolutely no point uh to me ads are the nos and the engine is the organic way uh so if people are uh You know, depending on whatever stage you're in as an entrepreneur, it's sort of irrelevant. It's about what stage you are in terms of your overall digital presence, marketing uh, systems overall. If your engine is strong and it, uh, you know, keeps the car moving along at a healthy speed, then there is absolutely no harm putting some nos on that and saying, let's go quicker. I don't think there's any harm in that. Uh, It can only do good if you are smart about your investments, looking at the returns on them, giving it some time to give you return instead of trying to say that, you know, this should help me skyrocket the business tomorrow. Um, But if you if, you know, people out there are thinking that paid advertising, if they just crack just paid advertising, it's going to lead to long term sustainable success, then I, I personally don't believe in that at all. Um, I've seen it fail too many times to think the other way. Um, I think it can potentially give you short-term results, but, um, you know, I, I'm a long-term thinker, so, you know, I, I'm not too bothered with if it helps with short-term boosts or not.
1: Absolutely. I, I love the, you know, the analogy of ads being the NOS and your organic strategy being the engine. That was brilliant. Um I want to just touch upon uh, the point where you mentioned that organic is definitely uh, an integral part of, you know, even before considering paid advertising, one should kind of, you know, test the waters and see the response and get that validation of their offer. So if somebody like is, you know, probably going through your process and they're clear with everything, they have an offer, they know what they're, you know, uh, what skill they're monetizing and they have a system in place and what would you suggest and what would you, I want you to throw some light on how you would, um, you know, educate or help this particular person to kickstart their organic reach, especially, you know, because a lot of people who get started, the reason I'm asking this is because a lot of people who get started, they don't really have much of a following on Instagram, for example, and most of us following our friends and family, you know, So also, there has to be like some kind of a realistic timeline as to when they want to start acquiring clients. And obviously everyone wants to, you know, like fast track the process um, and start generating clients as soon as possible. So how does one with a following that doesn't resonate with their audience, like fast track their success towards getting their first client organically?
0: Um, Okay. It's a, it's a loaded question. So I'm going to try and tiptoe my way around it. Um, Actually, you know what I want. I'll take it head on. Um, Okay, the way I think about this is that my perspective is if you are just starting out and you're looking to go from zero to one client, if you get that client directly through social media, um, you've sort of hit the lottery and it's a bonus. That's how I would treat it in the first two or three months. Um, Because I don't... um, the, the, the sort of people we work with, some of them, you know, when people st- start out they and they're not too present on these different channels, they feel like they need to be perfect and get results in order for it to be worth it. And I do want to sort of uh, encourage them to think that way. I think of social media as a, uh, initially at least, that if you get this client, it's a bonus. But you have to be out there because in the long term, it is 100% going to be of value to you and help you get clients, right? So I, I treat it as a three months, don't you know expect anything to happen. If it happens, great, let's celebrate, right? So that's number one. Um, I, I tell them this and guide them towards doing this because I feel like the focus on social media when they start out shouldn't be skewed by just get clients immediately. It should be around how do I deliver great, valuable content to my audience, and I just want them focused on doing something, doing that because it's easier to layer the call to actions, etc., to sort of get you clients than come up with valuable content once the call to actions are ready, right? So, so I typically recommend that they think about, um, you know, developing pillar pieces of content, repurposing that content on. Social media, making sure that they're giving value to people, putting out stories where they're putting out polls and questions so that they're getting insights in terms of what their target audience is looking for. Uh, That's how I treat social media. And I say that there have to be, apart from social media, there have to be um, other channels through which you're trying to get that first client. And it's okay if that, that other channel is through your network or through your network's network and all of that. That's fine. Um, because social media, you might not get your client sort of immediately. Of course, as time goes on, you get to be more sort of sophisticated with it, more targeted with your social media so that it actually gives you returns, etc. But in the beginning, I feel like at least the people I've worked with, it puts too much pressure on them. And then they end up not putting themselves out there on social media, which I think is the most important thing to do.
1: No, absolutely i i like the fact that you're basically laying out the expectation that one will have that you know three months if you get a client consider yourself lucky however you need to play the long term game and provide value because the more value you provide the more valuable you become and that helps build your personal brand which in turn helps you get more clients i think that was really you know really a good point over there so uh, one question I have for you with respect to Jigsaw thinking now is I know that you have a team and you work with, you know, some amazing people, but did you start off having a team or were you a solopreneur yourself? Uh,
0: no, if I could only be so lucky. Uh, no, I did not start off with a team. Uh, I guess one of the reasons we focus so much on solopreneurs is, uh, I guess companies, you know, are a representation of their founders to a large extent, uh, And so that's the reason because I feel all of the pain the solopreneurs feel at all of these stages because I've been through everything uh, as well. Um, And I just think that's why uh, we put a lot of emphasis on the type of people we work with because uh, we know that we can serve these type of people better uh, than anyone else can because I have been through every single aspect of that journey myself. Um, So, no, I was not lucky enough to have a team when I started out. It was just me. Um, And, you know, uh, India, it means that family is the strongest unit, which meant that my mom was my most loyal and faithful client over and over again. Uh, And, you know, she helped out whenever she could, as did my, my dad and stuff. So I obviously had help from people. Um, but I started by myself and I was fortunate enough to um, uh, to encourage uh, Kriti Thakur, who is part of the team now, uh, to join maybe, I think it was a year and a half or two years after I started. Um, and, you know, that, that's been a revelation uh, for the business.
1: Amazing. That's uh, that's good to know that you started off as a solopreneur. So you know the pains and the struggles of a solopreneur and you value having a team even more now. Great. So, uh, Rashid, I'm a firm believer of, you know, especially as an entrepreneur, the journey does get lonely at times when you're dealing with a lot of struggles and challenges and obstacles. So how, how important is strengthening and developing your mindset like for you?
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, it, it almost goes without saying, uh, you know, I did a clubhouse recently. Where a group of us as entrepreneurs were talking about embracing failure, and though we were talking about embracing failure, the point that kept coming up is how lonely and hard the journey is. Um, and you know, every every form of career and career path has its own challenges. Uh, the challenges are just different in different walks. With entrepreneurs, it's about how do you get comfortable with risk, uncertainty, etc. But the one thing that I think for all solopreneurs, they feel um, to varying degrees at different points in time is that it's lonely. I'm doing it all alone. I either can't keep myself accountable, or I just get bored, or this gets tedious, or I have nobody to vent to or help me with, and that's definitely a challenge. Um, so yes, I think you know I I think of tackling this problem in two ways. The first is of course, um, you know, uh, just like you would go to the gym yourself, you take your mind to the gym as well, and you constantly work your mind out on different aspects. So you have to be very self-aware of what gaps you have in terms of your mindset at a particular point in time and be very focused on solving those. Uh, So that's definitely one part of it. Uh, The second part of it is every solopreneur decides for themselves how lonely they want the journey to be, right? Yes, you might be the only one doing it, but if you are in charge of the future of your business and being alone is a risk to that, then it's your responsibility to either plug into communities that already exist that fit your way of thinking and what you're looking for or build a community around you uh, to make sure you're not alone for the journey. Because if you just keep complaining that it's, you're alone, then you know, you'll spend all your time complaining and not enough time creating stuff uh, and that's really why you became a solopreneur in the first place. So I think there's the mindset piece and the community piece that needs to come together to solve that problem.
1: I'm glad you brought up the uh, you know the the idea of communities because once either you plug into a community or you create one, it helps really create an environment for you to overcome those solopreneur challenges when you know that you, you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people who are you know, either on the same path with you or you're leading them onto the path you're at. And uh, I'm a firm believer of that as well. In fact, uh, you know, not just being a part of a community, but also having a mentor plays a really important role. So I want you to just throw some light on the importance of mentorship.
0: Sure. So um, I think considering I do what I do, I obviously am a firm believer in making sure you have some guidance along the way because I think it's of value. Um, I, you know, I have, uh, people always uh, used to tell me, okay, so you're a coach, but you have a coach of your own and a mentor of your own. So why don't I just go to that person? Right. And I would just say, listen, I, uh, you can absolutely please go for it. Um, but you know, you can't, um, you have to practice what you preach. And if I am preaching and saying people need guidance, they need support, they need accountability, uh, they need strategic advice, input, direction. Uh, then I have to get it as well. And uh, you know, having a mentor on board has been really uh, useful for us. For me, the biggest thing I've got from my mentor is thinking big. Um, because every now and then, uh, I don't know, Romit, if you're a football fan, but with the Euros going on, I'm you know, I'm just thinking about football all the time. Uh, but basically, I think what the main thing I've gained from Uh, my relationship with my mentor is every now and then as an entrepreneur, when you go one nil ahead, you just want to hold on to the lead. You don't want to lose what you work so hard to gain. Uh, But having a mentor has pushed me towards saying, you know what, one is not what you want to go after. Your initial goal was to beat these guys five nil. You can't just stop because you're in the lead. You've got to sort of keep going and it's okay if they score three goals in the process and you mess up a whole bunch. Um, and I think that's been really useful for me because at very important times in this journey and this adventure, a conversation with the mentor has stopped me from playing safe and continuing to take uh calculated risks uh to sort of go big because uh, our goal is to democratize entrepreneurship across India, and if you have an ambition like that, you can't play safe. Um, so for me, that's been the biggest learning for others, there will be other learnings, but there will always be a key learning uh, that you will get from your mentor that is not perhaps as you know a, a skill that you are learning but more um, helping you develop the type of mindset you need to play the long game and to to go big
1: no exactly i'm glad that you uh, brought that up and i love the football analogy because that's the only sport i enjoy watching i think the way you portrayed the importance of having a mentor and how a mentor really as as cliche as it sounds, you know a mentor unlocks your potential, and that could be in so many different avenues and aspects. But the most important of all is having that openness to think big, and then tap into that potential and activate that potential and realize that potential. So that, according to me, I believe is a mentor. You know, makes you see what you can't, and makes you do what you normally not do on your own. So. That definitely uh, plays a really important role. I want to know, correct me if I'm wrong, but are you an avid reader? Uh,
0: I am. I wish I read even more than I do. I had this lean period, I think six months ago, and I realized that I hadn't read for a while and I was devastated. But yes, I'm back to thankfully being an avid reader. Yes.
1: Okay. So specifically for, uh, you know, uh, books related to personal
0: development, mindset and business, Do you have a top three? Uh, I do. Um, I think uh, Daring Greatly by Bren Brown is a fantastic book. It's on the power of vulnerability. And I think entrepreneurs need to be vulnerable if they're going to go far. And that's a really tough journey. But uh, that book makes it a little bit easier. So I think that would be one. Um, The second book that I lean on quite often is a book called Mindset. Uh, speaking of mindset, it's just called mindset, and um, I think that was uh, that was a useful read for me as well. It goes into fixed versus growth mindset, uh, gives you stories around that, not just hey, you know, keep thinking about being better. It really adds color to it. Um, and the third book that I found a really uh, interesting read um, is uh, a book called Scale Smart. Um, which is a collection of stories of I think it's 20 or 25 really successful founders and entrepreneurs in India, and how they scaled uh, their business and the challenges they had along their way. And I think you can always learn from stories. Um, so that's another book that I think is uh, a really good read for entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, definitely. In fact, uh, um, I love asking this question, because it allows me to learn about books that I have not I have no idea of, and the three books that you mentioned, I have definitely have not heard of. In fact, there's a book called Mindset that was like, "Whoa, how did I miss that one?" You know, because I'm surrounded by books the whole time. Um, So, thanks for sharing that. Um, I think I think we've uh, you know we've covered a lot of valuable points uh, in the conversation. I love how you broke down design thinking and you know how you really brought a lot of structure in terms of you know what you believe in and what you advocate and what you teach to others um i love the idea of you know how you know you said democratizing entrepreneurship and uh, the analogies that you use were just like on point the co- conversation about you know paid ads versus organic and how should one start and and how did you start in your journey i think uh, it's really been an amazing uh, conversation and uh, to close this conversation, Rashid, there's one question I ask everyone, and that is,
0: how do you define success? Oh, man, you've left like the, the, the tough one right at the end. <laughs> um, how do you define success? Um, I think for me, uh, in line with the conversation we had, uh, for me, it's playing big, playing bold and being OK with not achieving everything but constantly moving forward. That's how I define success. Uh, And as long as that's happening towards the mission that I laid out, then I I would consider myself fairly successful.
1: Brilliant. That is um, quite clear. And uh, definitely, you know, there's a long way to go and so much to achieve and so much to do. And with the right vision and the right action and the right intent, anything is possible. Rashid, you've been an amazing guest. I've had the most amazing time having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for doing this.
0: Thank you so much. Great opportunity. And yeah, thank you for your questions. That's what really makes the conversation. Thanks so much. Definitely. Thanks, Rashid.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Strictly Motivation. I hope you learned something valuable from this conversation. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media and tag us using the handle at the rate Strictly Motivation Official. To access all the links and resources related to this episode, head to strictlymotivation.com. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode. And remember to never stop believing in yourself.